this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church, and you're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, October 10th, 2021. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin. Hi, I'm Kelly Brady, and I serve as senior pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in today to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. Morning. Small small team. Small team. We've got uh, more space to fill. So, Simone, we want more from you in this podcast. We do. I'm just going to ask questions. John is out. I think he's duck hunting. Is he really? Yeah, about once a year he goes. Duck hunting. Duck hunting. Where does does one do that? He goes to Michigan. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm picturing a pond. (laughs) I think so. Right? I think so. Yeah. I I don't know. It, how, what's tech? What's you grew up in Texas? I did, but I didn't yeah. grow up hunting. I no. knew people who hunted. Okay, your family didn't hunt at all. My stepdad, big hunter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you? Did you guys grow? Up? I mean, you grew up I, in Texas too, I sort did of. Not right? grow up hunting. Little... No. No. Really? No. Not your your grandpa. Um, no. No, we won't. We won't <laughs> 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 so my mother has hunt. taken to listen to the podcast. <laughs> she cannot believe. <laughs> That uh, my grandfather regu- is regularly brought up by you. <laughs> I am not bringing him up. Yes. All right. So, you know, this week I-, I baited both services with a clarification. And I want to start by chastising both of you. John actually said to me, Kelly, when you said it, it will be described here in a moment. I thought, oh, we need to circle back and clarify that. Did either of you note last week in the podcast that I stuck my foot in it? I did. Okay. Mm-hmm. I did. It, and, and I was I trying at, in the moment when we were talking. To help me? I was trying to make it really super plain, but we were just on different planes. We were, of and I, I can we explain what happened there. Right, right. I wasn't here, um, oh, that's right. but I listened. Yeah. So, Beth was. yeah, and? Beth was here. Uh, well, you went and a different you, direction. So, it, it, you, I, like your, I think it's important you clarify. I knew, I knew what, because I've heard you talk about it a zillion times from the front. Funny. So, I knew what you believed. But you weren't explaining it. It came across like you were saying you didn't hey, believe. When I did. say something poorly, feel free to stop me in the moment. <laughs> we, we don't. I don't. I'm okay that my bosses call me and say, uh, hmm. "What were you thinking?" Or what was going on? So enough kicking. You were around. just speaking so confidently. I didn't want to. I was in my own world, and I'll explain that. All right. So last week's podcast, I received a phone call after the. Po- it must have been Tuesday. I, I got a phone call from Brian Chapman, who's one of our elders here at Glowing Bible Church, about a comment that I made regarding abortion on last week's podcast. So I wanted to swing back around, and and I want to start by saying first, um, I want to offer some. I want to celebrate a little um, the fact that, you know, I I functionally have eight bosses which is great. It's a good thing. Um, But this is a great example of one of the roles that elders are to play in the church. Frankly, the more you speak as a pastor, the higher the likelihood that you're going to say something stupid at worst or wrong, confusing at best. It's just a vocational hazard. It's a vocational reality that that I'm going to say something, we're all going to say something. If we talk a lot, we're going to say something at some point that doesn't make sense. So Brian called and uh, asked me, hey, when I listen, this is what I heard. Can you explain a little what you were thinking? Uh, He felt it needed clarification. And I just feel that's a huge win for the church, the elders 
and and this is a this is a reality that many in the church week in week week out would never see. They they may never know that elders call and challenge and show up in staff offices and say, "Hey, this is what I'm feeling or sensing. Can you you know, let's." And I just I think that's a huge win, particularly in light of the Mars Hill podcast, mm. which so many are listening to. I saw that it was at it's uh, it's at number eighteen. Wow. On the charts, uh, total podcast uh, listens or like, something. Like out of all podcasts? All or are we po- talking yes. under the umbrella That's of Christian unreal. podcasts? That's surprising. No, I, wow. I went to browse. Huh. I was looking for another podcast. Interesting. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, I saw that wrong. Because, I mean, you're not probably listening to that unless you're a Christian, right? Most likely. No, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, Interesting. In, the, in the Mars Hill world, some of the problems that you know are surfacing are the in some part the failure of elders to lead in that setting and yeah. so um because just, they did have an elder board set oh, up oh yeah, yeah yeah and and you see that in some churches right like sometimes the senior pastor just sort of runs right over the elder board yeah. and guides it instead of right. being subordinate to it in a and that is not uncommon when the senior pastor is also the founding pastor. Mm. We, we don't face that here. Our church is almost 80 years old in 2023. So um, the elders have navigated the church through a lot of, you know, calm waters and difficult waters. And I, mm. I think our elders feel a fair sense, uh, an appropriate sense of responsibility. And I, I just thought I'd offer some comfort to the listeners that, hey, it's working. They're, they're leading as they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. On the issue itself. All right. So a uh, a listener had asked about whether it was wrong to want to provide solutions in a world filled with problems rather than spending time on lament. And there was this section on lament in my sermon. I answered, absolutely not. You know, the church is supposed to provide uh, real solutions in a world full of real pain. Then I talked a little bit about the importance of lament. Not My concern for our church, uh, the evangelical church, is we not blow by feeling people's pain. Our natural inclination is to avoid lament. And I gave it as as an example, hard situations that many women find themselves in when they feel that they are pressed to have abortions. I had talked about a podcast I listened to uh, that portrayed the other side of the argument, the abortion argument. It it was a a right to choice type podcast, um, criticizing taxes on its abortion restrictions. All that said, I want to swing back around and offer the clarification. GEBC has a clear pro-life position on abortion, but I'm afraid that I left some wondering whether I am in process on the issue, possibly even changing my position. So the clarity I want to offer is to say that I am not in process personally, and GEBC is not in process. I and the church are committed to a thoroughly pro-life theology. The confusion came when I shifted in talking about abortion specifically to reproductive ethics more broadly. Matt, you were talking at the time, and you were you had were talking about some perspectives. Uh, well, I was reiterating what you said in your um, in your sermon that day, where you said, "Look, my theology didn't change," mm-hmm. and that's what I was reiterating. Right. It's like, look. I, right. Uh, you're, there's nothing that's ever going to happen that's going to make me say that abortion is morally right and okay. So that's what you, I said. That's Something exactly like that. what you said last week. And so, yeah. and when you said that, for some wee reason, and it, I, my brain shifted, and I, and I immediately thought, oh well, there are some reproductive ethics I'm in process on. Mm. And so I got 
lost in my own head here as you were talking and equivocated. It sounded as, as though I equivocated on whether abortion is right. One of forever us. wrong. Mm-hmm. Right, and, right. And I, I did not mean to imply that I'm in process on whether abortion is a viable means of contraception. I, I think that could have been how it came off. So, there, and just to be reproductive ethics. So, there are contraceptions that prevent fertilization, and then there are contraceptives that prevent implantation. Mm-hmm. And it's way above my pay grade. And so I do my best to listen to um, Christian doctors who know more than I do. Um, but there is some disagreement in the community of, of people of faith who, who are practicing medicine. Talking so, about contraception. Yes, on contraception. Yes, <laughs> just to clarify. Ooh. Yeah, right. Um, I, I did want to circle back to the elders. I, I think this is just a, um, a question I want to throw out there. Um, what would you say to someone who was looking at a church, attending a church, who was not a Christian church, who was not governed by a, a board of elders? Do you think that that would ever be a, a healthy church to be at? Well, what, what governance do you have in mind, particularly? I mean, could it be called something else? Uh, yeah, sure, whatever. Trustees? But, you know, directors? Baptist. Something where the, the senior pastor is... Though, like, as you no say, oversight. I have eight bosses. Right, it's like, right. you know, because there are some churches where the senior pastor has no oversight, right? Like, yeah, I do you, th- yeah. I think that's short sighted. I don't think it's biblical. I mean, okay. Paul, uh, there are New Testament passages where elders are appointed. I, right. I think that the biblical model is the plurality of, of leadership um, yeah. rather than one man or one person having all the power. I just. That would, that would make me really nervous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Simone, you look like you have... I mean, yeah. this is all so fascinating. There's multi-conversations going on here. Uh, yes, yeah, sorry. The, the, I, li- I think I listened to the podcast you were referring to. Yeah. Did, was it the Daily from the New York Times where they it was. interviewed? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a really important interview, a couple of them, because it really does show another side to the whole conversation. And I listen to that and think, where's the church? Like these women are really facing some struggles that are putting them in a position where they think that their only option for them in that moment is to have an abortion. That wasn't even really the point of the podcast. The point of the podcast is they had to go all the way to a different state. Right. Oklahoma. Right. Right. And beyond, I think, because the Oklahoma clinic was... Anyway, I hear that podcast and think a hundred percent. Um, I pro life. Never, you know, that isn't a question in my heart in theology. But I do know we have a responsibility um, as a church to help the women who are in this situation so that they don't feel like having an abortion is their only option. So when I heard you last week on the podcast bring this up, I'm like, oh, he's gonna. That's what he's gonna say. He's gonna say, come on, church, let's wrap our arms around vulnerable people who are faced in situations like this where they actually don't think they have any other solutions where we don't we might not have every resource available to give to her but we have we have so much we could offer as the church so that was the clarification i was hoping i wouldn't i know you well enough and i know this church well enough to know there isn't a question yeah i want the church yeah i talk about all the time the church taking its rightful place in culture as the Mm -hmm. pillar and foundation of truth and and we have a long-standing relationship with uh, caring networks in the community um, that um, is in the business of saving uh, pre preborn mm-hmm. humans. So yeah, 
I, I really love this. Did you know that I worked for a pregnancy care center for, no. for years? Yeah, Karis. They're based in the yeah. city yeah. and then did an internship in college. So this is, uh, I've always been drawn to this work in particular, but I couldn't articulate it until I actually started working alongside women one-on-one in a vulnerable situation like this with an unplanned pregnancy. And I actually can't, I have a hard time talking about the abortion issue and saying what you just said without saying we have this calling and responsibility to care for the unborn. I would wonder if it's fair to say that we have that same calling and responsibility to the mom who's in that situation. And if we can provide her resources as the church, uh, we would probably be saving more than just the baby's life, but we could be saving her life as well. Not that we're the rescuers in that situation, but yeah. there's, there's, there's reasons why she's in that position in the first place. I thought that podcast did a good job explaining that on to oh, some it level. Oh, great explaining, mm-hmm. yeah. letting her talk about mm-hmm. what she felt, yeah. Yeah. how she felt hopeless. Yeah, I've met a lot of women, a lot of women who have had abortions, and not one of them thought, Oh, I just did it flippantly. It was it was easy for me to do. I don't think twice about it. I mean, we have we have ceremonies and memorial services all the time at Naomi's house, grieving the loss of children. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 a heavy. It's a I'm saying the obvious here, but it's such a heavy conversation and topic that I just like the the conversation to be around. It's not that we're just saving unborn children. I say that in quotes, but. There's a there's multiple lives involved when we say that we're pro life, and it's not just until she's born until the baby's born. It's to walk with someone in this situation for her whole life. So, what can we do as a church to yeah. help? That's a, it was sorry. interesting on the daily uh, the podcast we're referencing. Mm-hmm. Adoption was never mentioned. Yeah, never mentioned. Yeah, we could do a better job probably talking about the beauty of adoption mm-hmm. as a church. Don't you think? Yeah, it's like a. Um, but this might be a good time to ask this question. So, what? can we do, living in Glen Ellen, living in Wheaton, men and women, right? Because there's certain areas and arenas that women can go into in this uh, issue that men can't. Um, but but phys- physical, tangible things, like what can we do? I feel like I We give. I know we financially <laughs> give. We financially support. Sure. A lot of people yeah. do. Is there beyond that? Like we can consider adoption, mm-hmm. right? We can look at that. Like what... If someone's like, man, I, I would love to do something, where where can I serve? What can I do? Well, I think all types of, um, I think uh, the one on the daily, this young lady that I, st- stood out to me, she didn't have hope for earnings potential. Mm-hmm. It, over and over again, statistically. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's, there's, um, there's, it's clear that abortion in the United States um, since Roe v. Wade, has in largest part taken the lives of people of color, children of color. Yep. Uh, so much so that th- that um, the birth rate, and this is, a, my data here is a, a few years old, but there was a time when the birth rate of pe- children of color in New York City was less than the abortion rate. Wow. They were, it, it, it's functionally a genocide. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the ways to address this, uh, one of the things we could do other than uh, intervening in the lives directly of, of mother and baby mm-hmm. is to provide education. Early intervention education creates hope because it creates um, job opportunities. And when I say early intervention, I mean actually the, the, the data that I've seen is it's got to be pre-K, 
before kindergarten. I've done some reading and attended some seminars on the language gaps uh, between the impoverished and and the middle class in the kindergarten classroom are so significant that uh, children who are impoverished never catch up in their verbal and their reading skills because they started so far behind. Mm -hmm. So uh, we talk here at Glowing Bible Church about uh, um, supporting your early intervention. I think about um, by the hand in the city. Mm -hmm. It's not early intervention, but man, they are saving lives. They're, they are actually, they're providing hope because when you take F students, it's by the hand. It's probably bythehand.org if you want to look it up, if listeners don't, aren't familiar with this. It is the single best educational ministry I've ever ex- seen uh, on the ground. And uh, Yeah, we used to partner with them when we lived in the city. Yeah. So, and they, they present the gospel and the, the Chicago public school system is busing kids to their facilities where they receive uh, the gospel, uh, mentoring, and, uh, and then help tutoring with their grades. And, and by the hand, will only take failing kids. And so they bust these failing kids over and they get them up to B's and A's and it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I, so we have to interview, we have to provide hope to Simone's for moms and dads who feel hopeless like their back is against the wall. And, and I don't, Simone, you're fairly phenomenal. You're fairly unique in your exposure to the plight uh, of women in this regard. Broadly, the evangelical church, I, my sense as a pastor is that we're not crying with those who cry. We're not aware of their stories. Yeah. Yeah. Our, we live um, fairly insulated from the pain of poverty. Let me present the gospel really clearly to any listener who might have had an abortion. Mm -hmm. There is no sin Mm -hmm. that is too great that the cross of Christ cannot address. So if you're listening, um, whether male or female, and have been a part of an abortion, uh, there's grace and there's redemption. And contact me here at the church and if you've never processed that wound, if, if you made a decision to have an abortion, and, and maybe this is news to you that it's, it's a sin uh, to take the life of the unborn, um, and maybe it's weighing very heavily on you now and it's making sense to you that no wonder I feel uh, so much damage and carry such a burden from that decision. Well, there is hope. There's, there's forgiveness in Christ. You can be forgiven and, uh, and you can be restored. You can put that shame and guilt behind. We have, we have women in our congregation who have done that post-abortive work and they've been through the classes and they feel find increased freedom from that wound. That's good. The only thing I would add, not anything to the gospel, but in this conversation is that if we were, cause I think we've had a little bit, we, what we've talked a little bit already this morning is the proximity. Do we even know someone who's in this situation? Right. And I would, I would say you, there's probably, you're probably brushing shoulders with people who are finding themselves in these, you know, vulnerable states that you might not know. And if we just continued, and I know this is a huge leap to revelation. However, if we were, revelation has inspired me so much to have a much bigger perspective of what's to come. If we if we just continue to ask God, bring, bring, bring me, use me into someone's life. If I can offer any encouragement, if I can walk alongside someone in this particular situation, I just don't think that's a prayer God's going to ignore. 
if we're as a church offering ourselves, not because we have the answers other than the gospel, not because we're going to go rescue people and we're going to be the white saviors, but if we could do something that says, God, I, I'm, I'm available. I don't know what it is you want me, of me, but I'm available. I, I just think that's a prayer he'll answer. He will bring you or someone into your life that he'll use you. He'll, he'll use you in their life. Uh, so that would be my takeaway when we ask, what can we do in the situation? We'll yeah. just and, I, and I'll just go ahead and mention, we have an adoption fund. When you give to Glenelg Bible Church, some of the monies go to offset the cost of adoptions. A lot of people won't adopt because it is a fairly expensive process, but we have been a part of facilitating, I think it's up to dozens of adoptions through this adoption fund. We also give money to Caring Network to, to help offset the cost of them uh, saving children's unborn, preborn lives. So, yeah. yeah. And I need volunteers at Naomi's house. You can walk alongside any woman great. that we work with. Go ahead. Yeah, that's it. That's great. Call me. Remind me what Naomi's house. <laughs> remind us what Naomi's oh, house. Oh, sure. Is. Yeah, we work with women who've been sexually exploited and trafficked. So adult women here in DuPage County. Here in DuPage County. Can you believe it? Yes, sir. Right here in DuPage County. Yeah. And I heard that the same elder who called me asking, encouraging clarification, you met with him. He's a judge oh, in the area. In Naomi's house, you met with him. I He's, can't even tell you how amazing that was. We yeah. had the best meeting. So just yeah. it, there's a partnership developing mm-hmm. or you're mm-hmm. doing some coaching? He's facilitating it. Uh, judge Chapman facilitated us, the Naomi's house staff meeting. Another woman, Judge Ann Celine Walsh, I believe I'm saying it right, uh, who is the presiding judge over all specialty courts in DuPage County. So anyone who goes through a drug court or uh, mental illness, she is overseeing these cases and um, as the judge. And we're prayerfully seeking whether or not there needs to be a trafficking court here in DuPage County. And Mm. potentially all women who have any exploitation in their background could be referred to Naomi's house. So it would be, be a game changer. We would be able to have serve so many more women because there's a lot of women in DuPage County who are being sexually exploited and trafficked that don't know about our services and this could be a game changer that's good wow Mm -hmm. all right we're going to take a quick break and we will be back with questions all right let's get into some questions question number one are the judgments and the trumpets disasters that unfold as a more natural part of history or are they disasters that are uniquely unfolding at the end of time you know, uh, scholars debate this, and, and so I, I don't often feel like the pulpit's the place to say, it could be this, it could be that. I, I think the time in the pulpit is so precious that I, I pick out what I can be confident on. Last weekend, it was, last Sunday, it was repent. <laughs> Let these judgments and the certainty of their arrival draw you to repentance. So, but scholars do debate this, and the answer, I think, is yes to the question. We can understand that some of the trumpets uh, as disasters that unfold in the natural course of history, and then to some degree uh, are already taking place, and then some of the judgments are uniquely heralding the end of the world as we know it. So, for example, uh, the sixth, uh, fifth trumpet when demons from the abyss are, are loosed. You know, I don't have a sense that that's happened yet. Uh, I do believe demons uh, are real and at work, but um, anyway, so I, I think there's a mix here of just um, in fact, in Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. It's mm-hmm. Romans 1.18. So there's already um, an unfolding of God's wrath. Uh, I picture the Lord, um, if, you, if I've got my two hands in front of me, my fingers interlocking, I picture the Lord holding back his wrath mm-hmm. until it's time. 
Yeah. But some of his wrath uh, allowing to seep through his fingers are over the dam, as it were. So we are experiencing uh, the, the consequences of our sinfulness, and, and that is a, a part of God's wrath towards sin. Um, so I think it's a both end. All right. Next question. What do you guys make of the prayers offered before the throne of God? What do you suppose we are to learn from this? Yeah, I, I, my biggest um, takeaway from this is it's comforting to me. Mm-hmm. We've all had seasons in our lives. So this week's passage, Revelation chapter 8, uh, I think it's verse... Three, um, yeah, verse three, and then again in verse four, twice the the prayers of God's people are coming before His throne, and I just find that so comforting. We've all had seasons in our lives where we thought, "Are my prayers getting through?" And so, my takeaway is comfort. My takeaway is, "Well, praise God, we know we're being heard." My takeaway is that our prayers matter. Uh, and that prayers affect the course of history. I'm not sure what is being prayed here, and there's a lot, as scholars write, a, a lot of scholars will say, well, the saints here are actually praying for judgment and right. for the execution of God's wrath in, in a righteous manner. I actually put that in our notes because that's okay. what one of my commentaries talked about. He, he described it this way, or they described it this way. On the great day of atonement, the high priest would put incense on the coals in the, in the censer and with the blood of the sacrifice enter the Holy of Holies. This is what um, Zacharias did, right? He, that's what he was performing when the angel came and told him he was going to have John. But in this scene, the angel put the, the incense on the altar, presented the prayers before God, and then cast the coals from the altar to the earth. The parallel in Ezekiel 10 indicates that this symbolized God's judgment and the effects described in Revelation 8.5 substantiate this view. A storm is about to begin. So if you've, I, this, so we have prayer times Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Uh, Sunday morning is 7.45 to 8.15. It's a Zoom call, so you can do it. A lot of people do it from their living room. They haven't left their house yet. Would love for, if you want to be a part of that, just send me your email, and I'll send you the Zoom link. Same on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Every prayer call, every prayer meeting, we read a psalm, and so we just make our way through the psalms. This week... Wednesday night, we'll read Psalm 10. It's a song of the need for God's wrath. Interesting. And it's, it's the psalmist is frustrated that the wicked are getting away with murder, mm-hmm. that they, they don't seem to suffer. They do whatever they want. And it's this call for the wrath of God. And so we may have that here before the throne of God, the prayers of God's people calling for his righteous judgment on the earth. Um, but we don't know for sure exactly what's in the prayer that I know of. Maybe maybe it's detailed somewhere else and I've missed it. Yeah, I I just love the visual of this as well because isn't it talked about earlier in Revelation chapter five too? Yeah, there's this bowl filled with our prayers. I just yeah. had this visual of, I don't know, I've, I've heard a story once of a young girl who went off to college and had some strife with her parents and then at some point she discovers that there's... Uh, Sorry, she discovers there's pages and pages and pages of her parents praying for her and this journal that she sees of 
oh my gosh, my parents have been praying for me all these years and here, you know, and I, I kind of had that same idea. Like it's, it's our prayer, like God is holding on to these. They are in this place and he, there's nothing lost. Um, he holds on to them and he's pouring them out in an act of worship. I don't know. Mm. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Super encouraging. And prayer precedes God's movement and God's acting. It typically does, right? Right. So the way to say it, or the, it would be easy to think that that our prayers determine history, and I, w- I would want to avoid that. Yeah. God ordains his people's prayer as a means to accomplishing yeah. history. Mm. Like you often say, God is process-oriented. Right. That's part it, of his process that he... So he, he ordains the end. He's going to get what he wants. Th- things will bring him glory, and they'll be for the joy of his people. So he ordains the end, but he also ordains the means by which he... Account- and prayer is a part of that. It's That's really cool. powerful. That's cool. We get, to, we get to play a part in it. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. It is. Okay, uh, let's go to the next one. Any advice for those waiting for a loved one to repent? Honestly, I'm so discouraged at times by all the realities that your story about trying to body surf and the storm surge brought out. It's hard when people have heard the warning time and time again and blow right by it. What is left to do? Mm. And so this question Esther is referring to Kelly's story of when Kelly was, uh, what were you, 19, yes. 20, somewhere in there, yeah. and um, did not heed the warning signs when you were on vacation yeah. um, of a big storm, don't go out on the beach, the beach was closed, and you went you anyway, right? You, yes. Yeah. And you, you survived, obviously, but right. you were... It was stupid. Yeah. Really, really... Foolish. And you were hurt, right? Like yes, was, I was bleeding, coming waves. out of the water, and sand in my eyelids, and mm. yeah. it was really painful. And so this person is asking, like, what do you, you know, they have loved ones who are behaving that way. They just, they see those signs, which are so clear to the question asker, I'm assuming. Why? And then you think, why isn't it clear to this person? Yeah. So what, what is left to do? You know, my father um, resisted the Lord all his life until like the last year before he died, nine months. And um, in God's mercy, God drew him. And didn't give up. So, I, firstly, I'd say be encouraged. God loves our friends and family more than we do. Mm. God loves us more than we love ourselves, which is a, a radical thing to think about because I'm, I'm pretty self-focused. <laughs> I have a lot of self-love, <laughs> which is not a good thing. But anyway, um, be encouraged. God loves your family and friends. Uh, and then continue praying. I mean, just the previous question, our prayers matter to God. They go up before the throne of God. So continue praying. I, there was a season when I stopped praying for my father. Mm. And that's not, you know, I had grown frustrated or something. I don't know. Um, but our prayers matter. Luke 18, 2 says persevere in prayer. We know we're to persevere. Persevering prayer matters. Uh, it's part of fighting the good fight. So yeah. continue on. And I'd also say relax. Um, mm. Sometimes the the lifestyle, the way we react to the lifestyles of others, betrays a lack of faith on our part. The way we react to others' decisions can betray a lack of faith on our part. Mm-hmm. And so, exercise faith, meaning relax and believe that God can reach this person at any point, and is caring for this person. It doesn't mean, I'm not saying be permissive in their sinfulness or pretend they're not far from the Lord. I'm not saying that, but 
I, I think that we need to demonstrate faith that God is good at work and and that we're full of confidence. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. What I, I feel like what I'm hearing you say is there's a there's two sides to this coin, right? Like it's having this burden for those that we want to repent. We want them to come to the Lord. We Maybe we've been there ourselves. We know what it feels like to be far away. We know what it feels like to be in the water when you're about to die and drowning. Um, and you don't want that loss and that burden to go away. You don't want to forget that you care so much about this person. But the other side of you is called to faith mm-hmm. and to believe that despite how much you're burdened from this person, God God's in control. His sovereignty is will continue to reign. Um, it's living in that tension for everything, having a burden for those who are lost, but yet believing that God God cares and mm-hmm. God sees them. Um, I, I live in that every day with my four little yeah. blessings. Mm. Like I want to control their little lives and make them perfect and yet believe that I cannot. God's got this. When you have a friend who just continually is living a life, you know, of destruction and you see, you see the path clearly, they don't, that kind of thing. Is there a point that, that happens where you, you, that where all you do is pray? You remain their friend, but all, you, you stop engaging with them about the gospel. Is there a point, do you think, when it's met, when you try to talk, bring up the gospel in Jesus, and it's met with hostility? Yeah, I think um, at some point you Is there a point where you sure. just say, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to stop talking about it? Yeah. Because I think some Christians might feel like um, they're not, they're not in biblically in line if they stop talking about Jesus. Yeah. If they stop, you know what I mean? Like they feel like they're selling out or I, whatever. I don't know. But I think you're spot on. I think a, there comes a time when we need to be done because they've probably told us they're done. Mm. And so we, we, you know, to coerce isn't really, um, no one's ever argued into the kingdom. Right. And, or, and we want to avoid manipulation. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, I've had people say... <laughs> My neighbor said to me once, I do not want to talk about that mm-hmm. <laughs> regarding the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I just met him. I said, okay, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> Which is the perfect answer. Right. I just, I, I keep coming back to this. The I think it's in Romans that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads, us to, that leads us to repentance, right? Yes, that is... Uh, that is where you surprise That's people. Is you don't want to talk about the gospel? Okay, but what do you want to talk about? I love that answer. Well, what do you want to talk about? I think that's that is something we can do. We can demonstrate kindness as the Lord does to us, and that brings us to repentance, as opposed to, well, then we are no longer friends. You could say, well, if you don't want to talk about Jesus, we can talk about biblical literature, <laughs> which brings us to the next question. <laughs> Can you talk more about the different genres of biblical literature? It was news to me that events don't necessarily unfold chronologically in Revelation. Yeah, that's, um, I'm glad that was, I mean, it, it's hard to hear that was news to somebody, but I'm glad to hear that that was news, that, that, that there was some learning going on there, and that there, yeah, there are, uh, I like to say it this way, no one would, re- would read an Ikea furniture assembly instruction booklet the way they would read a letter from their boyfriend, girlfriend, their spouse, right? We don't read love letters. We know that there are different types of writing, different types of literature. So love letters are different than furniture assembly instructions. And it's the same in the Bible. The Bible is a book of books. It's an anthology of God's redemptive work over time, meaning it's, it's a, they brought together, it's a library. It's 66 books uh, with 40 some authors written over a thousand years with these authors and with, with, a, with a focus on God's work to save sinners. And so when you've got a book of books, 
then you need to real, you need to ask yourself. Each book has a different type potentially uh, of literature. So, uh, Revelation, the Old Testament book of Daniel, are what are called apocalyptic. Uh, and there, and Daniel's not simply apocalyptic. It's kind of a weird mix. It's got some um, narrative in it, some history writing as well. Uh, there. There are letters in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians are letters to the churches. And so they're called epistles. Um, and so we need to, the gospels are, are biographies, but they're not simply biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're actually biographies written to make a claim, which is kind of a unique genre, uh, the claim of Jesus being the Messiah. And, and then the, the Psalms are poetry. And I'm not big into poetry. So it's I didn't, really get into the Psalms until my fifties. And so got in touch with your emotions. Yes. I grew as a man (laughs) finally and can admit that going into the surf during a storm is stupid. (laughs) Men mature slower. So yeah. And with each genre, I'll give you an example. Proverbs 22, six, raise a kid up in the way that he should go. And from that way, he'll not depart. Many read that as a as a literal promise. Well, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, are what is referred to as wisdom literature. And these are, I think the word is aphorisms. So it's a pithy saying that has truth to it. But it's it's not the same as two plus two equal four. So for example... um, it is wisest. So when we get to Proverbs 22, 6, and, and, and Christian parents say, well, I raised them up, mm-hmm. and now they're not following Jesus. When we get to Proverbs 22, 6, what I say is it's wisest to raise a child in the way that they should go, but it's not guaranteed that our raising them determines their path because that would mean I can control my children forever. It's not a promise that I have power over my kids forever. They have their individuality. They must relate to God at some point apart from me as their parent. So it's here's the truth of 22.6. It's generally true that kids go the way they are raised. It's, it's, an, it, it's, um, it's a truism is how my Old Testament professor would say. It's, it's, it's true generally, but it's not the case that my parenting, them when they're little, determines who they'll be when they're old. Yeah. That's good. Super helpful. And your point is, um, in a lot of this, is that we, we know to, to interpret a certain verse a certain way because of what kind of the, literature it yeah. is, what so kind of genre hand, it is in. Thank you. I'm going to handle Proverbs different than I'm going to handle Romans. Because Romans has a lot of robust theology in it, where there are clear statements about Christ and His work and yeah. its sufficiency, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take those as not generally true, but but factually true. Christ was raised, and, and yeah. so declarations of truth. So, um, I'm a shameless plug for me here. So, I just finished today, my very last day of seminary. Yes. Um, and actually, Simone and I. Uh, studied yeah, the same thing. Beat at Moody, to right? it, but that's fine. Go ahead. What's that? <laughs> um, so anyway, um, it, it's funny because this whole genre, you know, biblical genre is very fresh on the mind. Mm-hmm. Just wrote a paper on mm-hmm. historical criticism and all that, whatever. Um, but it, it, thinking through all of it and seeing this question, um, wanted me to throw this question out to you guys. 
So we know, right, that the gospel that uh, the gospel is so simple that a child can understand it. And many times we've had baptisms here at GBC, and a six or eight year old or whatever gets up, and I mean they just slay the room with their comprehension of what the gospel is, and they say it in the simplest terms, and it's so beautiful. On the other hand, you can go through seminary and study these things, and you can grow closer to God in different ways. Um, but I think one of the things I've learned in seminary is how much I don't know now. Like, it's like, wow, there's just too much to know. Um, but it, it did draw me closer to God. So how, how would you encourage people who might see this as like a little daunting, maybe, Mm. you know, like really do, do I need to know about biblical genre? Really? Like, like this six-year-old just gets it perfectly. Can I just be like this? You know, can I? Well, you, I feel like you've said this pretty consistently going through this particular book of the Bible is that context is key. If you don't know when you're going through, and for instance, I refreshed, I did graduate a long time ago, which means I don't remember anything, um, but studying the commentaries of Revelation, I'm remembering that this, this, these particular chapters that you went over yesterday are all happening at the same time, but from different angles. And that was so helpful. It's not one it's not linear. It's not one sequence after the other, but it's, it's all happening. Um, we, we talked about this in our small group last night. And of course, Anthony was like, well, it's like when you it's watch instant replay on football and you see it from different angles. And you, I'm like, of course, every time, every time there's a sports <laughs> reference, although it is helpful. So I'm not knocking them. Um, but is that not true of this particular yes. genre right. of this book or these chapters in particular that we're seeing things happening all at once and, that's important to know as you're studying it. Right. And so it's uh, apocalyptic literature um, isn't um, n- married to a chronological storytelling uh, posture. Mm-hmm. Uh, sir, uh, time is unfolding. Time is progressing. And we know time is linear. Um, but uh, a lot of people compare it to nesting dolls. If y'all, do y'all remember those Russian nesting dolls where there's yeah. a doll inside yeah, a doll like, inside a doll and doll? And so that's one way to think. It's one doll. It, so it's it, there's it's one. Uh, it, it's a there's a judgment here with different like peeling an onion. There are different levels to it. Um, so mm-hmm. it, yeah, it more I like the word mosaic, mm-hmm. but. There was a little bit of, of, of me studying um, the Bible um, that I think for a while, maybe years, was a little bit paralyzing. It was a little bit like, I don't want to say anything. I feel, I feel so. <laughs> because I don't know enough about the context. And I, I don't really want to say anything other than Jesus died, was raised three years right, later. Right. Like, I'm going to keep it at that. But I don't know. I, I, so I, the back, more, back to your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's what I would say. I would say to someone sitting in the pew, gosh, Kelly, now you tell me there's genres that I have to grapple with and handle the books of the Bible differently. Um, I think I'll just stay at the, you know, the elementary age, the nine-year-old um, the, with the simple faith. And I, I think that's great. What I, my challenge would be is we know that truth sets us free. And so uh, the work to understand Scripture is rewarded by increased freedom. And who doesn't want that? And so growing in our understanding about different genres will help us handle God's word more responsibly and will bring greater freedom. I, frankly, I'll be honest with you, I know parents who kick themselves over Proverbs 22.6. I thought I was a great parent. Clearly, I'm not a great parent because my kid's not following Jesus. 
I thought I raised them up in the way they should go, but they have, in fact, departed. I must stink. And they beat themselves up. Now they're calling themselves into question of right. their faith or of their, you know. And, and to those parents, I say, well, there's bad news and good news. Uh, you know, the truth is none of us are perfect parents. And so it, it, you, you had a really unrealistic expectation if you thought that you would... Um, you'd control your kids' adult experience. As if it were that easy. Right. Um, so none of us are perfect parents as Christians. We all fall short. Um, but the good news is God is still at work in our children's lives. He loves our kids more. Yeah. Um, and let's, let's, let's continue to depend upon him. Let's demonstrate some faith around our kiddos when we're interacting with them that God's great and he, he, he'll, he's pursuing you and... Yeah. One, before we go to the last question, one final thought on um, biblical genre. For the skeptic out there who may be listening, thinking like, well, that's convenient. Now, you know, oh, so some things are literal and other things are just pithy. And, you know, like uh, <laughs> these great. biblical genres weren't determined based on the Bible. These biblical genres were determined based on other historical ancient works that they found commonalities in. And like what you said, like, yeah, the gospels are unique to the Bible. But uh, most of the other writings of the Bible... Uh, have have been and are compared with other ancient writings, and they find those similarities, and they say, "Oh, the, then that story in the Bible is is this? It's a it's like you know, apocalyptic, right? Literature. There are other apocalyptic writings, yeah. in, from other ancient works. So, anyway." Hey, if you are an artist, a maker of cool things, whatever you do, uh, this commercial is for you. We have an art gallery coming up. Uh, it actually is going to begin on October 17th and run through November 21st. So if you are an artist of any kind and you make cool things, we would love to have you participate in this. Uh, this is a series that will coincide with our current Revelation series. Um, the book of Revelation is ripe with imagery and imagination. Now, this gallery will be exploring the idea of a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, if you would like to submit a piece, you can submit it at the end of this week by Friday, 5 o'clock. You can send it to my email. That's mmarone, M-A-R-R-O-N, at gebible.org. So M-M-A-R-R-O-N at gebible.org. We'd love to have you submit something. Thanks. All right, last question. How are we supposed to feel after hearing Robert Steele's reflections on parenting? The timing of what he shared seemed odd to me within the worship service. Yeah, what'd you think, Matt, as far as timing? Yeah, you know, I, I totally get what this person's at. Like, yes, the timing was a little bit weird uh, in that, you know, we just had, we just sang, we were in worship. Um, typically, the second week of the month, an elder will come up and pray. And, um, and Robert, he did pray over us, but he shared first, and so I... It was a little disjointed. I, I get that. Um, as far as service flow. As far as service flow goes. So I could see have, if you maybe were attending or what, I don't know, if you, if you were just sitting out in the pews, you, in the chairs, you were probably thinking like, whoa, wait, where are we going now? Like that was maybe a little, little disjointed. I get that. Um, that being said, um, he did set it up in a way where he was communicating that he felt like it was important for him to share what was truly on his heart. And um, uh, as he had the opportunity to do so, and he w he referenced Bob Thomas the previous week because Bob shared something very direct, and um, it was on his heart. And so 
Robert set it up that way. So if you were here last week, if you heard that, if you caught that reference, maybe it made a little more sense. Um, but I thought that what he said was helpful and it gave, it also gave us an insight into his life and what he's dealing with, what he's thinking about, what's on his heart. You know, the, the difficulties that he has in parents. We all have, we've been talking a lot about parenting today. We all have difficulties and challenges. Uh, some of us have unique ones. Yeah. Right. I, I, um, I, I think it, the timing was, um, interesting, right? So three songs, I would agree. The timing was interesting. It was a weighty thing to share. Uh, but my first thought was, you know, talking about how to care for your kids around issues of sin, how to educate them when he, in first service, he, he said, you know, she, Victoria looks so naive and innocent on the screen, but someday I'm going to have to talk to her about the history of American slavery. And I thought, well, that's true. And I remembered, you know, as, as a white man, uh, it, I don't feel that pressure. It didn't occur to me, but he, Robert's a family in our congregation. I need to help bear his burdens. Mm-hmm. I need to join him in that. If that's a burden, and that's really what I felt like Robert was saying, I'm here today to pray. Here's the burden I'm feeling. Let me let me share this burden. Let's pray together. Yeah. And and I want to share each other's. I want us uh, to be bearing each other's burdens. That's the call of Christ in the New Testament that we'd yeah. be doing that. And I wasn't getting from him that like. And so you all need to share this with your kids. Mm. Like no, I was, no. I was finding a commonplace going, dude. I've. I've actually, you know, in the last couple of years, have been thinking like, you know, my oldest son is at a certain age now. I'm gonna. Round, uh, coming back full circle to the abortion conversation we had earlier, like, I'm going to have to tell him about abortion. Like, we're going to have yeah. to walk through that conversation. And he, he has no... I think of pornography. Like, or, how, how do we... Well, son or daughter... Like, I mean, we used to drive around the lake um, through Indiana over to Michigan, and there are all those um, strip club uh, yeah. big billboards oh, yeah. on the highway. And I just waiting for my yes. kids to say, what's that about? Yeah. And I can remember saying, well, some people get paid to take their clothes off in front of other people. And it was just silence in the car. I mean, the Halpin residence, right? Like, what does mommy do? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, I've had teachers at school say, "Um, your your son's prayer request today was for human trafficking victims. (laughs) (laughs) What has he known? This was in third grade, true story. I was like, oh, bless his heart. Did you pray? (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, he didn't say sex trafficking because that would have been a little bit more confusing. Um, My question here, now you know this already, but Anthony and I were doing our membership interview, so I wasn't in the room when Mm. he prayed. But I'm curious if we're if that was hard for him, like, did he feel oh, yeah. like, was this him taking a step of faith on his oh, own yeah. to like say, okay, well, I'm, Absolutely. I'm going to be vulnerable for a minute. And let you all know. I, that's how I took it. Yeah. He was being very yeah. Vulnerable. Well, I appreciate him modeling that because that's hard to do. That's yeah. hard to be bold. I mean, there's, it's not often that a black man stands up in front of the congregation of this church. I mean, that's mm. not, that's just a state. It's just never a happened before Sunday. Okay. And, so that's and talked about it in that respect. Right. So I will never forget one time you um, referenced MLK, not recently. It was within the a couple of years ago, and I remember like this is so odd that we're talking about. There's just not a single black person in this congregation. I appreciate that you did it, yeah. but at the same time, like you just got to call it out as an elephant in the room. So I don't, I don't know if that was hard for him or if he felt I have a leadership obligation and responsibility, mm-hmm. and I have to, I have to be vulnerable in this moment. So and he appreciate. did a really good job in his communication of saying of making his point that all lives, 
all lives are created in God's image and have value and worth. Oh, and he did an excellent job talking about how the gospel triumphs over the yes. historic sin of slavery in America. Yeah. And, and it's through the gospel that we're, we're finding healing. Yeah. I mean, the, the good news is there, aren't, there, aren't, there isn't legalized slavery in America. I mean, we have made some progress. We have more to make. So, and, and I just, I was really thankful and felt hopeful for that he was vulnerable, courageous. He shared a burden. We can help bear that burden. We're, um, it made me think of the burdens I bear for my kids and want others to help me with. Um, as a parent, I'll share, you know, stuff yeah. with folks and, and expect them to, to join me and pray on that. So yeah. I'm encouraged to be praying for him as a dad. I would ask this question person, questioner, when, when is a good time for him to bring this up? You know what I mean? Like, I don't mean that to be sassy, but like, right. well, when, you know, you know the, the when Sunday before MLK, of course. Right. Like, I mean, if we're, if we're planning out our, okay, well, I'm being extremely, point. extremely sarcastic here. And to your point, we, we don't, uh, choreograph everything at Glowing Bible Church no, in that manner. That is not a high value for us. Yeah. It is a high value for some churches. Yes. Everything you're going to say, present, is going to be all thematically joined and produced. Right. And we do produce some things, yeah. right? Yeah. And other I mean, things we leave open. Remember two weeks ago, the whole um, prayer. prayer over healing? Yeah. That wasn't, you know. That was spontaneous. That was spontaneous. Right. And there wasn't a question about it like, oh, that didn't feel like it fit. A good right. point. Right, right. Because we all need healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a great point. So anyway, that's kind of what you can expect attending at GBC, right? Like, I I'd like know. to say that's spirit-led. Yeah. That's what you can and expect you know, the well, spirit Robert, at GBC. And Robert would say, yeah. I felt the Lord yeah. place this right. on my heart. Praise God. He was being yep. obedient. Yeah. Yep. And we're not going to stop that. Like, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and, and sometimes, sometimes someone might do that and it could crash and burn. Right. It, that, that's a possibility. Right. And we'll talk about it later on that week. Like when Kelly said that GEBC is pro-choice. <laughs> now there's a soundbite that's going to get picked up. You can delete that. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for us getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. And thank you listeners for tuning into the next level. Prophecy.